as we think of the one that no one is like, let's turn our hearts to him. Father, it's true, no one is like you. Uh, there are times when we are confused and we don't even understand who you are, where you are, and we have a lot of questions and those questions uh, sometimes haunt us in our desire to uh, work through the challenges of this life, but we thank you that even though you're unfathomable and that you're beyond our full comprehension that you love us and that you have given us your word to help us understand you and to know that nothing can separate us from your love and that you have a desire to have a personal relationship with us. And Father, as we look at questions today, questions that uh, in a sense are critical to our own hearts as we uh, attempt to navigate this life and consider the realities and the uh, hope of eternal life, that indeed you will give us clarity and that uh, we will see your answers from the scriptures. And we pray in Jesus' precious name, amen questions to help us grow. When uh, Albert Einstein was asked the question and was answering, if I had an hour to solve a problem and my life depended on it, I would use the first 55 minutes determining the proper questions to ask. A friend of mine also states this about questions. He says, a question pricks the conscience, but an accusation hardens the heart. Questions have been used for years to help us think through things, help us be able to come to some conclusions in our own minds, but also to help us explore what is going in the lives of others. Uh, we would like to uh, uh, think about questions from various perspectives. Uh, there are people all around the world that have questions and don't know where to ask them. Fifteen years ago, I sat in a restaurant in Ankeny with uh, a man by the name of Shay Houdeman. Shay was embarking on a new ministry that was intended to provide an anonymous uh, answer to people's questions concerning biblical uh, subjects. And it was from that point on, the last 15 years, God's given me an opportunity to join in with the gotquestions.org as one of their volunteer writers to answer questions all around, from people all around the world about things that are going on in their life. And just some idea of what they've been able to do over the last uh, uh, few, just this last month. I, I was uh, interested in the, the stats but they had uh, over 318,000 people visited their gospel presentation pages with 8,000 professions of Christ as they used something just to give them an opportunity, a vehicle, to ask questions, and then they get drawn to uh, the truth of the gospel. It's interesting that questions are, that a question opened the door for one of the most familiar of the stories that are in the Bible or parables. And it's this story of the great or the good Samaritan. It's a, because of a question that this takes place. 
that, that this story is given to us and a story that is known not only by those of us who are in church, but even people in society will know about the Good Samaritan. Uh, it's given names to different uh, uh, companies and, and actions, etc., because it's known for this is how you ought to treat other people. But actually, it started out with a question from a man who was quite skeptical, in a sense. It starts here in Luke chapter 10, if you want to follow along with us, uh, as we we delve into this question that that kicks off this wonderful story to remind us of some things, but also as we uh, remind you also of the uh, uh, parabola. Remember we did the parabola when we talked about the parables, and you have this part, uh, that is the physical truth and the spiritual truth, that we have Jesus giving a parable back to this man because of the question which he asked, because it's very possible he did not have ears to hear. But here's how it starts out. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus had an answer for that question. But before we go to that answer, I want to remind you that this is somewhat different than someone who came to Jesus at another time and to talk to him about spiritual things. If you think about what Nicodemus did, instead of standing up in front of everyone, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and while Nicodemus was there, Jesus unfolded to him the truth of the gospel. But in this case, instead of unfolding the truth of the gospel, Jesus does this. Jesus uh, goes and talks about this. He said to him, what is written in the law and how do you read it? I wonder if Jesus was thinking about the possibilities that this lawyer was considering what he had said on the Sermon on the Mount. Now go back to this question right here where it says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not, never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount we looked at last week and how that Jesus was telling them that they didn't want to have this shot, shallow or hollow life like a Pharisee. They needed instead to have some substance in their relationship with God. And I wonder if that was on the mind of this lawyer as he's going to Jesus and trying to trip him up in this situation as to what does it require then to go to, to heaven? And he says, what does it say in the law? Why did he ask that? Because he was a lawyer and he was an expert in the law. So Jesus is now asking a question to answer a question. And then the, uh, the lawyer says this, he takes and summarizes what you will find in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Levit Leviticus 19. And it's considered to be the, the summary of the, all the law. And it's put into these two major commandments. Jesus gave the same answer as you'll see recorded in Matthew and Mark. Uh, as he says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The emphasis here is on seeing the law 
for all that it encompasses. If you look at the Ten Commandments, we're, we're considering the first four commandments on how we should love God and the last six commandments and how we should love each other. And so this lawyer is putting it all in summary for him to be able to see it. But you know what I think in regard to this? He wasn't believing that uh, he had any problems with this area because Jesus says this, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now you would think the, uh, the lawyer would sit down and look at the law, the concept of loving the Lord your God with everything that you have, being able to have the confidence that you never waver from the capacity to be able to love God in that fashion. And then to be able to love everyone or love your neighbor as you love yourself. The lawyer had no issue in regard to this. And I think about it as being uh, wondering why he doesn't just say, but that's impossible. Instead, he says this. Him desiring to uh, justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wasn't tripped up with the idea that his life didn't match up to a holy God. He had no concept of the idea that we all fall short of the glory of God. He didn't understand that the law is just simply our schoolmaster to help us realize that we need Jesus Christ. He wanted to be able to articulate that he was confident that he and God were okay, but he wanted to ensure that the crowd knew uh, that everything that he had been doing was being fulfilled in his love not only for God but in others. So he asked this question, and who is my neighbor? And it's a question that I think that has uh, given us a lot of validity because we are somewhat, somewhat choosy in who we might want to love and how we might want to respond to, to people in situations. Uh, to kind of look at it from the perspective of what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, again, peering back into what we looked at last week when he was exhorting them to have a righteousness that exceeded that of the Pharisees. And we are looking at that, that time where he's talking about their love for other people, that it might be loving your enemies. And uh, that area of prejudice, as I have uh, uh, pointed on there and highlighted, that uh, there was this concept that we should love certain people and not love others. And Jesus starts open the door uh, through this, this concept that in the Luke's account that he says this way. If you were to go back just a few pages, you would see in Luke's account on the Sermon on the Mount, he says it this way. But I say to you who hear, again, those that have ears to hear, uh, love your enemies and he goes also, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. In that portion of his Sermon on the Mount, he is emphasizing the importance of loving our enemies and also doing to others how we would like to have done unto us. Later on in that, he says this, if you love those who love you, what is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And then he closes this concept with this. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. 
These are the words that Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount. And now these are being revisited as this lawyer has stood up to test him, asking a question about eternal life. The lawyer responds by giving back, in a sense, the law of loving others. And Jesus is trying to clarify for him, it's not just loving those who are your neighbor in that they love you, that uh, you also love them. Because he says, for even sinners love those who love them. Jesus has already set the bar for those who are listening, those who had ears, that to love someone that loves you is just simply a trait. But to love those that are difficult to love, that is the genuine, merciful love. As we see displayed in Romans 5.8, but, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that this, this lawyer was not getting that. So now we have the story of the good Samaritan. Jesus chooses, rather than to tell him straight out how that his view of God and his view of himself are incorrect, that he does fall short of the glory of God, that he needed to be born again, that he needed to do something with that lack of righteousness in his heart. But instead of giving him the straight truth, he speaks to him again in a parable that has some, you know, some physical truth but with spiritual meaning with the uh, intent that he will either get it or he won't and he talks about some questions typically when we want to give the questions of a story you have like five w's right the who what when where why maybe throw in a how there uh, to get us an idea of what's going on in a story i'm going to look at five W's in this story as we walk through the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, first of all, the who, a traveler from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus makes no intention to try to tell us anything about this traveler. He's apparently someone who is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's all we know about this individual. We don't know uh, about how much money he had, anything about him. All we know is he's just traveling from one place to another. The second who that we have is the robbers who stripped him and beat him and left him for dead. These were ones that uh, certainly were not loving their neighbor at all. So it's very clear who's not loving their neighbor in this story. Here's someone who sees the fact that this man is vulnerable and they grab him and they take all that he has and leaves him for dead. If you were to consider possibly that, that God has given us some kind of a spiritual picture here, that would be us, right? That we are left for dead. Uh, we are separated from God by our sin. We are helpless. We are not capable of being able to rescue ourselves. This is something the lawyer was not getting, as you can tell from his answers. Rather than him saying, oh, woe is me, because I cannot love my God with all that I have. I cannot love my neighbor as I love myself. Instead, he just wants justification for you to be able to answer, who is my neighbor, because I think I do fairly well in the realms in which I have set up. That's so true for us at times, isn't it? That we have a way to set up our uh, spirituality or our religious uh, understandings of how things should go, and even being able to determine that we are okay. 
Jesus paints the picture of a person who's not okay. This is a person who's left for dead. He is going to need some help. And in the process of telling the story, he gives us a third who. And that who is the priest who saw him and moved to the other side of the road. The priests were responsible for a lot of the uh, spiritual uh, care of the people. If anybody wanted to be uh, represented to God, the priest's job was to do that. And so here you have someone who represents religiousness. You represent someone who ought to care about people, someone who ought to love other people. When he sees the desperate person, rather than go to them, he goes to the other side. He tries to avoid the situation. If I could put it in something that we might recognize is that the phone might be ringing and now that we have caller ID, we can say, okay, um, yeah, I'm not going to answer that one uh, because it's just going to be much more involved than what I want to at this particular time. And in this case, we are not told why the priest goes to the other side. We can speculate. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he was concerned that this is one of those scams where someone's pretending to be beat up and and, uh, is hurt. And so as a result, I'm going to protect my person. Maybe he didn't want to defile himself because he had some religious responsibilities. We don't know. We're not given the excuses. And I think the reason for that is that we can fill in our own excuses that we might have when we choose not to go over and help someone that is desperate and in need. Jesus adds to the story by giving us another who, a Levite, who did the exact same thing. I've kind of racked my brain trying to figure out what the difference is between the priest and the Levite, and uh, Jesus doesn't give us any clear indications. Uh, One thing that might be true is that the priest uh, took care of one aspect of the office, and uh, Levites historically have been known for working with the physical things, and and maybe it was just to kind of give an idea, if someone's going to get his hands dirty, maybe it might be the Levite uh, type of thing, and I don't know if that's for sure. But the idea is the Levite, another representative of the religious core saw him and walked on the other side. And then finally, we have the hero of our story, uh, the final who, and that who is the Samaritan. And I just want to go through this and talk about the various things he does there. The reason I've broken them up in just little statements is because I think each statement was given by Jesus to help us understand that that the Samaritan did above and beyond what even our conscience might have us to do, to not feel guilty for not helping someone, or even what someone who might have been looking on might think was was significant. But let's look at what the Samaritan does. First of all, he came to him. He saw that he was in need and he wanted to see more. He wanted to care more. Now, if I were to apply that a little bit to what we go on in our lives, there are times when we see a glimpse of something and we are not sure what it might entail and it regards somebody else's life where we might just decide, I am not as interested in pursuing that. 
because it might get a little more involved. It might get a little more complicated. And the less I know right now, the better, right? Uh, the less I know, the better. But he goes, and when he gets there, he actually saw him. I think that's significant. There are people that sometimes they don't feel seen. They don't feel that anyone is really noticing them. And wouldn't it be a good responsibility for those of us who really want to show the love of Christ that we are capable of seeing them, seeing them for who they are, seeing them for what needs they might have? But it's, it's significant that Jesus says that he saw him, and then he goes on, he said he had compassion. Could be that the priest and the Levite, rather than having compassion, they might have had disgust. They might have uh, felt like, yeah, he got himself into this problem, he'll have to get himself out. They might have had a lot of different feelings. We're not told what those feelings are. And I think the significance for me is that I can't just say, well, I would never act that way for that reason. But I have my own questions from my own heart as to why I might not engage in something that might make my life a little less comfortable. But he was motivated not by whether somebody was watching, okay, looking around to see if anybody's going to see if I'm going to help this guy. Because if there's nobody watching, why should I do it? Nobody was watching, but he did it because he had compassion on this man. He didn't know him. All he knew is he had a need, and he wanted to help him with this need. He goes on this next where he bandaged him. He took in what he had for bandages and he cleaned the wounds and he prepared him so that he would not continue to bleed out or get infection. And so he was really treating him the best he could in that particular situation. He goes on from there to uh, uh, carrying him. You know, now it's getting to a point where he's not only trying to make sure he doesn't die along the roadside, he is going to pick them up, pick him up, and take him with him wherever he's going. Now we don't know if he was going to go particularly into the place where he ultimately goes. I don't know if he went out of his way. I don't know if it was something that was detaining him from other things that he was doing. Jesus doesn't give us any of those details in this story, but he gives us the impression that this man was willing to take his beast of burden and place this man upon it and take him to a, a place where he could care for him at an inn. Now, I don't know what you're thinking on this, but as I look at stewardship and, you know, considering what my busy schedule might be, it'd be very easy somewhere along that line to feel that I have met what would be expected of me, right? Somewhere along the line, I would say, okay, this is enough. I've got other things to do. Someone else needs to take over. Certainly, there's someone in Jerusalem that he could take this man to, or to Jericho, uh, that he could take him to and just drop him off and said, I found this man along the side of the road. He's been beaten up, he's been robbed, he doesn't have any money. Someone here needs to take care of him. I've done as much as I can do. Here he is. You take him and care for him. He is a, you know, he's a, he's a person, he's a citizen, you ought to be concerned about that. But rather than do that, he took him straight to an inn, took care of him himself, 
He doesn't, doesn't even ask for help from the innkeeper, from what I can tell from the story. But he does all this, and then from there he housed him, making sure that he had a place to stay. Now, it's obvious he had other things to do. Because from that point, he goes on to do the other things he had to do. We don't know how late he was for what he was planning on doing. We don't know how this would have packed him as far as his, his life and such. That doesn't seem to be part of the issue. It doesn't seem to be part of the, uh, the, the, the concern of the story here. Because what he's doing is he's taking care of and loving his neighbor. A neighbor he's never met before. A neighbor that he doesn't even know his name. A neighbor that he's decided to have compassion upon and share what he had. And then finally what he does, as he goes on his way, he tells the innkeeper, gives him money to cover what it would take for him to recuperate in that situation and says, when I come back, I will take care of what is left. Now, this is a, a, a really you know, over-the-top uh, over kind of, uh, uh, of action on the behalf of this, this uh, Samaritan. It's, it's beyond what someone has called common decency. It's certainly beyond the concept that James talks about. If uh, someone is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. So you're not guilty of that be warmed, be filled type of uh, label. And so what Jesus has done is he's laid out some questions uh, through the story, I think, that uh, even though he didn't formulate them as a question, uh, they resonate as a question. As I think about what he is talking about, I have to ask myself some questions. Would I be willing to do something like that? Would I be willing to go out of my way and to help someone to the degree in which the Good Samaritan did? And, would, and, and if, if not, what is it that's getting in the way? What are some of those things that are getting in the way? Well, let's first, before we look at that, let's look at uh, the, uh, the response to this. Jesus asks a question afterwards. He's asking this man who stood up in front of the others and asked to test and then asked again to justify. He asks him, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it the Samaritan? Now, I haven't at this point really talked about Samaritans versus the Jews. Uh, if you're familiar with this, this will just be a little bit of a, uh, just a small amount of information in regard to the issues that they had. But essentially, their, their problems go back a long way. Because the Samaritans had a whole different religious belief system than the Jews did. They did not get along. They would go out of their way. They would not interact with each other. Uh, they would not consider each other neighbors at all. Uh, they would probably consider themselves uh, enemies at some point, uh, depending upon the situation. So when he's asking this question, he's asking which of them had the, uh, been a neighbor to him. Someone noted, and I didn't catch this when I read this, 
but that when the lawyer answered, he couldn't even say the words, the Samaritan. <laughs> and I didn't notice that. But when you think about it, whether it was intentional or not, uh, it does give you an idea how much ingrained this issue might be. He just simply said, the one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. This, I guess, tool that Jesus used of asking a question wasn't used just at this time. Matter of fact, if you were to go back a few chapters in Luke chapter 7, you have the account where uh, there was the, um, the woman who was trying to uh, show her appreciation of Jesus by taking an alabaster box with oil and anointing his feet and Simon the Pharisee at that time who was hosting it said oh if he only knew what manner of woman this was he would not allow her to touch his feet and then Jesus at that time asked a similar question he said he gave a story first of all about uh, someone who had loaned out money to two different individuals uh, one for 50 uh, denarii another the one for 500 denarii and he said if he forgave both of them which of the two would love him more and uh, Simon said well I assume the one who has been forgiven more and so Jesus used that same fashion to help Simon the Pharisee recognize the importance of mercy and again now in the story of the Good Samaritan, he's attempting to help this lawyer understand this as well, the importance of, of mercy. And Jesus tells him to do this. He says, the one who showed mercy, and Jesus says, you go and do likewise. Jesus is challenging him to go likewise and to show mercy to others. That was the answer to his question as to who his neighbor is. If the Samaritan in the story was willing to have compassion on someone without any care and without any prejudice, then the, the lawyer needed to be able to do the same thing. But what we see as we, as we go on to this, that he's not only answering the who, but in a sense he's answering the how. How much do we really love other people? Does it, when does it happen that our concerns for ourselves start interrupting in the process of helping other people? Where would it stop for the good Samaritan in that process as he went through the various things and said, I can help him up to this point, but I, I'm not going to give the money for that, or I'm not going to do this or that. Uh, Jesus is not only answering the who, but he's answering the how. And as we close out our time looking at questions after the story, what does the you go and do likewise mean for you? What are some questions that you ask to ask yourself? Do you have to ask the question, do I really need to start going more? Do I need to make myself available to help other people? Do I need to look at my resources differently? Do I need to look at people differently? Do I need to consider that when I look at people that I'm having a compassion for them or not? Do I struggle 
with the uh, moving past that common decency? Am I driven more by what is expected of me, what other people might see, than my love for God with all that I have and my love for the neighbor? And then the last question I want to ask us as we close out our time here is this, what must you do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer asked it. I'm not sure how sincere he was. It seemed from the context that maybe he was just doing it to uh, try to throw Jesus off a little bit or try to prove a point or, or whatever. But if I were to go back to that account that I mentioned earlier about the man who was, I would say, probably just as smart, just as religious, uh, just as uh, uh, you put together, if you would, as the lawyer of a man by the name of Nicodemus that we see recorded in John chapter 3. For it was in John chapter 3, we have the record of Nicodemus, this religious leader, coming to Jesus by night. Interestingly, Nicodemus doesn't ask a question initially. What he does is he starts talking to Jesus, and Jesus says that, that fateful statement, you must be born again. Now Nicodemus has a question. How can I enter again into my mother's womb? Nicodemus is getting it. Whatever you're talking about eternity, I can't do this. I cannot accomplish this. That's the thing that the lawyer wasn't getting. The lawyer wasn't getting the fact that he couldn't come to a place where he could fully love God with all that he had. That he could actually fully love his neighbor as himself. The lawyer could not see that he was like the man who was beaten, stripped, and left for dead. Nicodemus was at least realizing that there was something he couldn't do. And in that question, in the fact that Nicodemus had a sincere heart wondering how he could take care of his eternal life, Jesus gives something even more popular than the story of the Good Samaritan a verse that people have been aware of and have been using for years, and even those that may not even know all the details of the gospel have heard that of John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The parable where there are some that had ears to hear and some that did not. And when we are truly desiring to know the truth of the gospel and how that we can have eternity with him, we can turn to John 3.16 and other portions of scripture that clearly let us know that we are the one left dead, dying. The one who has great need and we can't do it on our own. We can't uh, reach out to any kind of religious thing that might be going by. We need Jesus, who died on the cross, to give us eternity. Father, as I close our time together, I thank you for the question 
that prompted the story of the Good Samaritan that convicts my heart that I am very self-centered and I want things to be comfortable for myself and I don't always want to be showing compassion to other people. But it also reminds us of the truth. We fall short of your glory and we truly need your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The gift that has been given to us that we might be able to spend eternity with you. And that our righteousness is not dependent upon whether we are able to love you with all our heart, our soul, our might, and our strength. Or whether we are able to love our neighbors ourselves. But it's based upon our willingness to humble ourselves and recognize our need of Jesus as our Savior. And we thank you for that wonderful truth. And we do pray for any that are listening to this message that they might seek you genuinely to know that you offer eternal life and we pray this in Jesus name amen